Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. Lawrence, hi. It's Will McPherson here from the Evening Standard. Hello, Will. What's up? Well, I'm writing a feature about great rugby teams. And as you played in more than a couple, I'm thinking the Premiership winning Wasp team of 96 and, of course, England in 2003, to name just two. I thought I'd ask you what it takes to produce a truly great team. Well, my friend, it takes skill. Right. And it takes dedication. You've got to be focused and committed right to the end game. Yep. Putting in the hours. Precisely. And it takes time. As it happens, Will, these are the same things it takes to brew an outstanding amber ale like London Pride, sponsor of this very podcast. And more importantly, one of my favourite beers. I guess it also takes support, especially from the fans. The way they get behind their teams drives those extra yards. I couldn't agree more. And Fuller's London Pride are showing their support as the official beer partner for Premiership Rugby. Awesome. You've been a great help, mate. Thank you. And you've also made me strangely thirsty. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride and remember to drink responsibly. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my rugby podcast. As ever, it's been another action-packed weekend of rugby. Luckily, I have an expert lineup of guests with me, starting with our resident, Will McPherson, who is the rugby correspondent from the Evening Standard. And it's no exaggeration when I say my next guest, well, he's proper rugby royalty, really. What you don't know is how many flat whites he orders before we go on air on Sundays. <laughs> what you do know is that he has 133 caps for Ireland, eight for the British and Irish Lions. He's the fourth most capped rugby union player of all time it is of course Brian O'Driscoll Bod yeah I'm going to have to correct you it's skinny flat white Brian O'Driscoll in retirement you can't go full fat anymore last but by no means least he's in charge of the Exile Nation podcast it's Bill Pulling that is only his job that he does in his spare time because he's the communications manager for London Irish Brian, I think I've listed all your achievements. As I said, 133 cats for Ireland, eight for the Lions. I can't even remember how many games you played for Leinster. Probably something like 180 odd. You know, 186, lol. Ah, that's it. I knew you'd be there. Um, so how come after such a, uh, a glorious CV, you've ended up working with some bloke called Lawrence Lally and Craig Dillon on BT Sport? I mean, you know, where did, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> this was the segue into my next career, but somehow it's petered on and it's eight years down the track and I haven't forged out this secondary career for myself. I want to talk because our listeners don't know absolutely everything about you. I know they know your dad played a bit of rugby, but give us an idea of that journey and what was that kind of inspiration for you just early on in your career? Yeah, for me, you know, growing up, I guess I was a bit oblivious to the fact that my dad played in two uncapped games for Ireland against Argentina in 1970. And my maternal grandfather played for Munster a couple of times. And then obviously, you know, I've got cousins in the UK, they're O'Driscoll's as well. They're actually 
second cousins to me, my dad's first cousins, Barry and John. John ended up playing for the Lions. So I guess there's rugby in the family, but it was very much soccer and Gaelic football for me until I went to Blackrock College as a 12-year-old and it all changed then. And it's kind of an institution of Irish rugby in Blackrock College. They've got an incredible record of you know delivering a huge number of international players from the school. And so as soon as you're there, you know, rugby, it's almost part of the curriculum. Slowly but surely, even though I didn't make lots of underage teams as I grew into myself as a 17, 18 year old, I started to make some representative teams and then it all happened very quickly thereafter. So I got myself my first contract and I said, I'll give it a go. And then I woke up one day and I was 35 and I was a retired sportsman with a few caps under my belt. Oh, I think you're being very modest, Brian. I mean, listen, the, the, the Six Nations, you know, your imprint across that tournament is probably as, as big as any player. I think you've played 65 of your 133 caps in the Six Nations. You somehow still hold the all-time try-scoring record of 26. I was with Shane Williams in commentary on Saturday. Would he have been close to that? I can't believe oh, he was. He was a couple behind me. And as much as all of Wales is willing George North back into their fold, I'm all right with him you know, being on the extremities for the time being because I think he's only two or three away from me. And it does feel like it's inevitable that my short-lived record is going to fall by the wayside soon enough. But that's what records are there for. I'm looking at the stats and of everything you've achieved, you have won Six Nations drop goal. Oh, it was against England, was it? Yeah, it was oh, England. In, um, yeah, you got to save them for the good ones, right? For the ones that count. Do you know what? I think I've got like four drop goals and the teams were New Zealand, Australia and England. I was like, no point. Oh, sorry, I've got one against Romania. I've got one against Romania oh, in the yeah, 99 yeah. World Cup as well. Probably the best connection of the five drop goals I have was the one against Romania. We were 50-something points up and I was on the bench. It's the one game that I've been come off the bench for Ireland. All other games I started. And I remember sitting beside David Humphreys, who was rested for that game. And I was covering 10 and I was kind of nervous because I was new to the fold. Anyway, we were kind of having a chat on the bench and he was like, I bet you can't knock over a drop goal if you go on here now. I was like, I bet you I can. You're 50 points up. You just can't be going for drop goals. Anyway, the ball came back to me just inside the 22 and I hit this thing and I've never hit anything so flush in my life. It literally nearly cleared the stand. And anyway, I start running back and I'm just looking up into the stand at Humskill. And I told you I'd knock one over. I told you I'd knock one over. So um, yeah, drop goals was never my thing. There was lots of wounded ducks. They go down as three pointers, but they weren't things of beauty. So the one that does stand out is that one. Well, listen, Brian, we appreciate that little insight into some of your earliest memories. Let's dive straight into the rugby action across the weekend. Just to remind all of our listeners, Scotland going down at home 17-36 to a very, very strong looking France. England looking in total command and then... Uh, Letting Wales right back into the game, but they managed to hold on 23-19 at Twickenham. And then, of course, yesterday, Ireland battering Italy in the end, 57-6. Will, if we start with you, do you subscribe to the view that there are maybe three divisions in the Six Nations? There is the Premiership, which it currently includes France and Ireland. There is Division One, which includes Wales, Scotland and England. And then there is Division Two, which is probably Italy at the minute. It is feeling a bit like that. England are, you know, are technically still in the shape for the Championship. Eddie Jones was really keen to point that out on Saturday evening but it feels a very long shot they're going to have to lift their game massively to even be Ireland at home let alone consider that trip to Paris in the final round 
Drico, I mean, France obviously thought they got their hardest game out of the way when they beat Ireland in round two, which was an exceptional test match. I think it's probably been the standout test match of the Six Nations so far, but they looked very dominant, didn't they? I mean, you know, I know Hoggy will be having nightmares over that ball he drops. Maybe it could have gone through a couple of other pairs of hands before it got to him, but France always looked like they had another gear to go. And, and I think that, I think that's the real point, Lawrence. France just appear as though a lot of the time in that game, they started obviously very well, a couple of quick tries, and then Scotland Ferniston came back into it and scored some great tries themselves. And then that moment, and the Six Nations is largely about momentum. It's about obviously winning games early on and then riding that wave, but also over the course of a game, you know, you've got to ride the momentum of how the game is going and take advantage of opportunities, particularly against the best teams. But France have a bit of a, you know, sketchy enough record against Scotland in Edinburgh in recent times. They obviously lost there a couple of years ago when they you know, potentially could have won the Grand Slam on house, got sent off. But if ever there's a team that love to work on momentum in Scotland and particularly in Murrayfield, you know, many times you go behind over there, you go a couple of scores behind. It's very hard. It galvanizes them. They get the crowd going. They're a team that sits on a lead you know, quite well. So the fact that they butchered that opportunity and I'd be interested to see what the lads think, who's at fault there. You know, we had a coach, Joe Schmidt, coached the Irish team and Leinster team. And one of his early calls to me, kind of setting a stall out early on, we were at training and someone threw a pass to me. It wasn't a great pass anyway. He was down at my knees and I knocked it on and he stopped. And I thought he was going to give your man a rollicking and actually he turned around to me and he goes, Drico, good players, take them. And all the lads are like, ooh, <laughs> right? And this just repeated itself. Anytime I dropped the ball from then on a training or anything, he was like, Drico, good players, take them. Anyway, I was looking at that pass and I just thought, Joe Schmidt, that's a Joe Schmidt comment right there because, yeah, it's a little bit out in front of him. Did you not think about texting Hoggy uh, just with, you know, Yeah, well, maybe I'll bring in thousands of people or millions of people as well, (laughs) you know, and send him a message on Twitter or on on Instagram. No, do you know what? Like, he'll be so annoyed himself because it was actually thrown right out in front of him. It's inviting him on to fully accelerate and he should be catching that. He knows that he doesn't need anyone to tell him that. And they go in... You know, they're two points behind. They go in 17-12 up at half time, buoyed by, you know, their reaction to going a couple of scores behind. And then all of a sudden, the momentum is with them. It's only 40 minutes. What happens? Okay, Fiku goes up the other way. They create an opportunity. And all of a sudden, France are two scores ahead of them. It's like, how did that happen? So I think, you know, France, I'm sure they probably had more gears in the second half too. And at times they're coasting, but they've got so much firepower across their team, so much grunt up front, but also so much skill and creativity in the back line that it feels like if they really need the scores they can go and get them yeah and I think everyone thinks they rely heavily on 9 and 10 and obviously they're class players but when you look at the likes of Pernod scored two tries at the weekend Dante you know coming in from outside and, and getting on the score sheet and actually up front they used to run out of petrol a bit they were a bit sort of overweight maybe not the fittest side in the world but they look like they've got some serious artillery and you'll know as well I think the Deshaun Edwards factor is significant I really do I, I have not seen France defend defending with such appetite and desire like that for so many years understanding that they can turn their defense into an attacking weapon you know their spacings their attacking of the opposition's rook over the course of the three games has been really evident and it's when you think you have the rook one they kind of give you a second two you relax a little bit and then they come and counter and it's not just one body piling in it's not just forwards doing it you know Villiers did it against us and against Italy 
everyone is at it. And when it's one piles in and they see any level of weakness or any level of switch off, that's when they get their counter ruck. And worst case scenario, what it does for them, it slows the opposition ruck ball into five, six, seven second rucks, allows them to set their defensive line, get their spacings, and then they come off, accelerate with great line speed. So it just feels as though that's really feeding into their overall game plan of creating opportunities for them, but also slowing the opposition's possession and forcing them into kicking it away. Yeah, I think we're all now thinking this Grand Slam is France's to lose, having lost the last couple of championships. I don't think they've won a Grand Slam for quite a number of years, so uh, I can't see them being beaten. But we're going to move on to Twickenham, and obviously England's third game. It's always hard, and Brian will appreciate this, you know, when you're commentating, you get locked into a different view. But Will, you were there, presumably as a rugby fan, but also for the evening standard. I mean, if you wanted drama, Twickenham was the place to be, because it ended up being an incredible game, certainly in the last five or ten minutes. But am I alone in thinking that the, the talent Talent in the England squad is there and maybe that for whatever reason they're not really maximising their potential as a group you know there was a feeling with 70% possession in that first half you know you build a score you get three six nine points up but they get the Liam Williams yellow card they really should have put Wales to bed in that first half no? Yeah, definitely I mean England dominated that game certainly in terms of scoring from the start they had a 17-0 lead Wales never had the lead and yet there I was at the end thinking that Wales were just about to pull off a bonus point win it was so weird they outscored England three tries to one which has got to be a worry for England especially as their try was it was lucky in a couple of ways perhaps a little bit of you know dark arts from Itoji and then it was a Welsh mistake I mean ultimately it was a and it was a poor throw as well and and so Don Brown nips in but that was their only score and England's attack just isn't functioning they don't look like they're going to get a bonus point win against anyone apart from Italy in this tournament. They scored one try against Scotland, one against Wales. And as you say, they're definitely not the sum of their parts yet. And Eddie Jones is desperate to talk about the World Cup and talk about how they're still a work in progress. But 82,000 people were at Twickenham on Saturday and probably 70,000 of them were wearing white supporting England. I just don't know whether that rubs really. I mean, they're, well, I, think, they're... I think there was definitely 81,500 that were over-refreshed because a, four, <laughs> four, a 4.30 kickoff is quite something but as a member of Her Majesty's Press you know I hear Eddie Jones talking about this is a young inexperienced side this is a New England side I mean come on who are you trying to kid you've been the head coach now for six years or whatever you've been you can't suddenly try and pull the wool over the England fans eyes and say that this is a new era new dawn we're 12 months out from the World Cup no you're right he's got rookies at halfback and number 8 and 15 but it's a really experienced side you know the centres that played on Saturday Slade and Daly I know they haven't necessarily particularly Daly hasn't always played centre at international level. They've got more than 100 caps between them. Courtney Law's more than 90. Ben Young's coming off the bench, breaking that record. They've got plenty of experience. He's just maybe a year or two too late. He's trying some new combinations and he's trying to buy himself time by saying it's all brand new, whereas it's not quite true. And Bill, I mean, uh, from your perspective, I mean, we were told that Harry Randall, who didn't have a bad game, but he was picked to kind of pick up the pace of England's attack and try and get them playing a bit quicker. The image that stuck in my mind is every time we had the opportunity to up the pace of the game we seem to deliberately slow it down I lost count how many lineouts England had where they went into this mass huddle about 20 yards away from the lineout and then it took them forever to get the call etc I mean I just think that there needs to be a bit more urgency about this England team and, and for them to understand that if they're going to challenge the likes of Ireland and ultimately France in the next couple of rounds they're going to have to play significantly better Yeah I, I was a bit shocked to be honest with how slow the play was in the build up because I thought pre-game we were going to be expecting a high tempo from England but I don't know I guess it's one of those things that 
might have changed on the day. I don't know if nerves got the better of some of the players, but it just didn't seem to play out like I thought it would. For me personally, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, I'd quite like to see there's some really good players on the edge of the England squad, like, uh, and I'm biased, but Oli Hassel Collins for London Irish, Adam Radwan from Newcastle. I'd love to see those guys get a go and kind of change the tempo up and add a little bit of stardust to the England backline. Yeah, and Brian, for you, having graced the, the world at centre for so many years, you know, the continual eternal question to Alangi obviously that is a game changer. And when he's playing, you know, it allows any side, let alone England, to do different things. Are you of the view that it would be nice to pick a 12 who plays 12 quite regularly every week? I have to say, and, and listen, lots of the times I'll disagree with Eddie Jones, but I must say, with regard to sometimes crowbar players into particular positions, I understand why the methodology around it. It's to do with getting as much X factor or quality in your team, irrespective of what their positions are. And you've got to remember as well, numbers on jerseys are largely just for first phase. Thereafter, there's lots of roaming roles, there's lots of ability to pop up in different positions. So it's about getting your best players out there. And I still am unsure whether they have done that. I think, you know, to Bill's point, I think, you know, would I be as afraid of someone like Joe Marchin as I would be, you know, Radwan coming on? No, I wouldn't. And and not, not to say that he's not a very nice, proficient player, very good club player, reasonably a good international player. But if you get the ball to someone like Adam Radwan with space, he's going to cause you serious headaches. And you want players to be nervous on the pitch as often as possible. And I just don't know if this current English team at the moment, certainly the one player of the weekend, would have many teams quaking in their boots. I just don't know if they would. I mean, as a forward on Saturday, I probably would have stopped giving the ball to the backs after a little while because they just weren't doing enough with it, in my opinion. But for what it's worth, I, I do believe that England need to add a bit more ball-carrying ability into their pack, whether that's a Alfie Barbary at six, whether it's a Courtney Laws into the second row or Joe Launchbury or someone like that. I mean, they happen to be two Wasp players, but you know, don't take that as, uh, as red. But I think if they don't have guys who can punch up the middle in their back line, then I think they do need to think about how they actually get over the advantage line because I'm quite worried about the Ireland and France game because of the physical nature of what they've got, particularly in their pack. These are going to be some very, very interesting games from an England perspective. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Will, just a couple of words on Wales. They hung on in there. They didn't come to Twickenham with any belief that they were going to win the game. But I guess as the game wore on, they suddenly thought, as we all have in games, you know, we've got a chance here. And, you know, they, we, we, we must give them a lot. You know, Falatau stay in the distance. I thought Josh Adams played magnificently well. I thought there was a number of kind of standout players. Thomas Williams, if every team had a scrum half who can pass like that boy, I think they'd be doing very well. That pass for the first try was an absolute beauty, wasn't it? it? Took about three defenders out of the equation. I thought Alex Cuthbert was immense, actually. He was winning his 50th cap. He's obviously someone who has drifted out of international rugby for a little while, but he's back. And, and that was a sensational performance from him. Wales, they seem to do this at Twickenham, where they find themselves a long way behind, but they just kind of never give up. They kind of outlast England a bit. Had it been on slightly longer, I don't think that lead would have lived. Listen, we're going to move on to yesterday's match. Another superb Irish victory. Not unexpected, but obviously some controversial uh, circumstances. You, you kind of felt for Italy. We don't normally feel for Italy, but you sort of did. Brian, another solid performance. They got the job done. 24 points to six at half time. I mean, did everyone leave the Aviva Stadium with a sense of uh, kind of good feeling that this was a really another really good step forward for Andy Farrell's men? Do you know what? I suppose if you look at this, Ireland has scored 57 points against Italy and comparatively to France scoring 37, England 33. Okay, it's a good outcome. But then you look at what's happened over the course of the game, the very unusual circumstances of Italy having a hooker injured, you know, their replacement getting sent off. And for those that wouldn't be in the know on this ruling, Royal Rugby has brought in a decision a couple of years ago, I think it was, where if your replacement who comes on for that sent-off player, if that replacement front row has never played hooker before and you have to go to uncontested scrums, you have to remove somebody else from the pitch and play with 13 men, which I know people that aren't, you know, usual rugby viewers are going to think that's bonkers. So someone has to get withdrawn, two people withdrawn for one infringement. How does that make sense? And I understand. However, you can't have a player that gets sent off. You can't have that team gaining an advantage on uncontested scrums for the remainder of the game, because obviously it's an important part of the game. It's tiring. It's going to sap energy. And it's much easier to defend from an uncontested scrum, you know, because you're not having to worry to, about pushing as a flanker or as, as a back rower. So I guess you can understand both sides, but it did create a bit of a farce yesterday. That said, I didn't actually think that Ireland played particularly well. I think they tried to continue with their shape. I think Italy's, in fairness, you couldn't knock their desire and their effort. You know, there were bodies littered all over the place. I know that they didn't have to scrum, but their you know loose head, I think, was high teens, tackle count, turning ball over. It was an impressive performance from Italy under the circumstances, but Ireland needed to change their game plan up a little bit, take Italy through the guts and in around the ruck a little bit more to create space out wide, but they just went back to what game plan has worked for them over the last while. And kind of there were a lot of questions were answered by Italy, which is a bit of a frustration, albeit we still did score nine tries. Well, I was going to say, I thought I mean, England fans would be delighted if they were picking the bones over nine tries. Listen, we're going to leave the Six Nations there for now. There was also plenty of premiership action across the weekend with wins for Bristol, Quinns, Leicester, Bath, Exeter, who move up to fourth place. And of course, a draw for sale and London Irish. Bill, I'll stay with you. I mean, the London Irish story continues to gather momentum. Sailor a tough nugget at the moment, especially with all those South Africans coming back from injury. You're in fifth place. There's only a handful of rounds left this season. I mean, are the London Irish fans dreaming? 
I think from a club point of view, I have to give you a cliche line and sort of taking it each game as it comes. But I know the the fans, obviously, they have the right to dream. Like you see, we're fifth at the table. Saturday evening, we're fourth before I actually got their results. So I think, yeah, if the guys keep performing, then I think why not? The squad are showing excellent resilience recently, especially in a sale. We spent uh, 20 minutes with 14 men on the pitch and still managed to get a draw. I think that's the first time we picked up more than one point since about 2010 in Manchester. So it, we're taking big steps forward and, and hopefully come the end of the season, we're in the Champions Cup spots or who knows, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, listen, we wish you all the very best. We're now going to move on to our outstanding section. It's time for all of you to select a player that you think was an outstanding individual player from the weekend. Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride. Will, if I start with you. I'm going to go for Rory Darge, who I thought put in an exceptional performance for Scotland. He only turned 22 last week. With Hamish Watson going down with COVID, they had their entire first choice back row gone. And then Darge, it was his first start for Scotland and he put in a kind of all-action performance. He's, I think he got three turnovers, he scored a try and everything good that Scotland did, he was kind of at the heart of it. Brian, over to you. It's got to be someone at the Aviva, surely. I don't think I can. I, I don't think there were any outstanding performers. You know, you could maybe potentially go from Mike Lowry on his first cap, but I'm, I chose Damien Pinot. I just think that, you know, we talked about X-Factor players earlier on, guys that do something with the ball in hand. And even when he catches the ball behind him and he does those big loops in behind defence, it just feels as though there's every chance he's going to break the first up tackle and create. And when he's put in space, so often he converts those opportunities. His ill chipping regathers, how many of those tries has he scored in recent times? So for me, he's a very, very exciting player for France and to watch in general. And his strike right now, I think, did I see he's got 15 or 16 tries in 31 or 32 test matches? You know, scoring a try every couple of games is going to keep you in the team, isn't it? I can't argue with that that decision. I'm going to pick an Englishman who sort of went under the radar a bit at the weekend, but Ellis Genge, I think he's improving all the time. There was a lot written about about him and I used to watch him for Leicester and watch him for England and I wasn't quite sure whether he actually had what everyone said he did but I thought he just had a very good game very good tournament actually so far but I thought his carrying was incredibly strong the scrummaging I'll blame the referee for not stamping his authority down on the game and allowing it to become a bit of a mess in the opening 20 minutes but uh, I think Ellis Genge for me was my outstanding player certainly at Twickenham and he'll get my vote Bill over to you my friend before we talk about your club podcast give us a shout out for uh, a player that you thought was outstanding. Mine's from Twickenham as well, but it's from uh, the losing side, Wales. Will mentioned him earlier. Alex Cuthbert was brilliant. Every time he got the ball, just looked dangerous in attack and reminded me of when he first broke into the Wales squad when it was him and George North on the wings. So I think, uh, yeah, Alex Cuthbert was me. Brilliant. Well, listen, tell us a little bit about your club podcast. I think you've been working at London Irish for about four and a half, five years. You're one of these guys who are obviously, you're within the club, so it's an official podcast, I guess. Yeah, so we started the podcast back when the game was being played behind closed doors. And we just thought it was another avenue to bring supporters close to the club and kind of get to know us a bit better on a personal level. And that's something that we keep trying to do in the episodes is even though we're interviewing players or past players, we don't necessarily just talk about the rugby. We talk about personal life and, and stuff going on at home. For example, we had Ben Loder on and we talked about his brother, who's a professional footballer with Porto and Porto. So bits and bobs like that. We've just had Connor Gilston and on fresh from his uh, appearance in The Apprentice. So that episode is coming out shortly. So that's definitely one to, to keep an eye out for. 
And then he doesn't know it yet, but Sean O'Brien's going to be on it as well. So I've just got to let him know that. Uh, one. Well, listen, listen, I mean, you may want to do yourself a favour and give yourself a little sneak preview and, and have a little offline conversation with our Brian over here because he might give you a bit more insight into Sean O'B. If this is a family pod, my intel could be quite dangerous, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's hard to find too many better guys than Sean O'Brien. Yeah, very popular when he was with Leinster in Ireland. And I believe equally as popular now, he's having done a stint with, with London Irish. Yeah. Yeah, he's brilliant. He, he often comes through the office and plays all sorts of pranks on me. The other day I had a week off and he sent me a photo of my desk. He went, oh, I came to come and say hi to you, but you're not here. Then he took a picture and on the desk, there was a note saying, uh, Bill, please call me as soon as you see this, Mark. And Mark Benstead is our CEO. So he sent me a picture of that. I panic. I, I was having a bit of a lie-in because it's a rare day off. I panic. I jump out of bed. I call Mark. He's like, so what do I owe this pleasure to? And I'm like, uh, I just got sent a picture of a note on my desk saying, give you a call. And he was like, nope, not me. And then I just get a phone call from Sean O'Brien who's like laughing his head off in the office with me on loudspeaker saying I can't believe you rang him I can't believe you rang so I came into the office this morning he's feeling very happy with himself <laughs> well listen good luck with the remainder of the season and with that podcast Exile Nation um, let's move on to our rugby trivia I need to try and redeem myself after getting last week's question wrong Will you are question master as you know it's either over the line which uh, Brian did on 26 occasions of course in the Six Nations or it's in the bin on which I did about 13 times in the Six Nations <laughs> <laughs> over the line or in the bin with Fuller's London Pride the official beer of Premiership Rugby as we know, England will be facing Ireland in the next round of the Six Nations in a couple of Saturdays' time. But this week's Over the Line or In the Bin actually takes us back to the first time these two teams faced each other in the newly created Five Nations Championship in 1910. It was a game that also took place at Twickenham. England beat Ireland, although the score was only 3-0. Is that Over the Line? Or is it in the bin? I'll go to Bill first. Yeah, I just want to say I'm not sure this is entirely fair with Brian O'Driscoll and Loris Delalio, England International and Ireland International, and they're just little old me who's just got to take a stab at this. I don't think I've played in this particular... Uh, trust me, there'll be three guesses here, pal. <laughs> OK, OK. I'm going to go over the line. Brian? Yeah, those score lines were always 3-0, 6-0, so I'm going to go over the line as well. Ooh, well, to, to have any hope of winning, I need to go in the bin, really, don't I? Which, uh, which many Irish fans were willing and baying for that to happen most of the time. So I'm going to go in the bin and say that it wasn't 3-0. Lawrence, you are correct. In the bin! It was actually oh. a 0-0 draw that day, uh, which was, as Brian pointed out, in keeping with the time, Year after, at Lansdowne Road, it was 3-0 when Ireland beat England. Incredible games, those. I mean, I don't know how people got through them. Did people pay <laughs> money for that? Presumably. We're nearly out of time. We're going to have a quick look ahead to the weekend's rugby. We're off the Six Nations, but there's plenty of premiership action. Harlequins v Newcastle, Bath v Bristol, Saracens Leicester, which I'm at, uh, Gloucester v Northampton, uh, London Irish at home bill uh, against Worcester and you'll be licking your lips for that one and then Exeter v Sale Will um, where do you find yourself do you go back to the stoop and back to Harlequins um... we're keeping an eye on Saris this weekend that, I, I, just like you that game is a bit of a beauty isn't it Leicester obviously flying high Saracens in second place but hosting them there it's a shame there's a couple of uh, England stars missing obviously but that looks like an absolute beauty I'll also be keeping a very close eye on London Irish versus Worcester because I presume given London Irish are involved there will be at least 70 points and a margin of only two or three between the two teams because that's what London Irish do at the moment so I'm looking forward to that one as well 
And Brian, um, where, where is it? This is it Barbados for you around about this time of year? <laughs> fallow week. Everyone needs to recharge their batteries, right? So fallow week equals I'll keep an eye on what's going on. That Saracens Leicester game. I did watch the corresponding fixture in Welford Road, where Saracens had led for large parts of the game, and then Leicester managed to find a way, you know, late in the game. I think it was a kick to the corner and a mauled try that managed to get them across the line. So I'm sure Saris be looking for retribution there. It is a pity that on a fallow week like this, that you don't have all of their array of stars playing, that surely they should be playing that level of fixture when it's going to be teams picking from full decks. But nonetheless, it'll be an important fixture in the overall final position of those two teams and you know, Saracens have a pretty impressive record at home so Leicester are going to have to dig in and they've found a way so often this season of closing games out brilliantly well so can they do it again? And Bill, your game is three o'clock on the Saturday I think same time as that Saracens-Leicester so I guess you'll be firmly entrenched in the press room at Brentford. Yes, I will be. Yeah. Um, no, I'm looking forward to it. Leicester have been getting better and better each week so it has all the makings for a, a pretty good game as, as Will said the only guarantee is that there'll be points we just don't know where they're going to go well listen we wish you all the very best for that game against Worcester at three o'clock on Saturday that's it from this episode of Lawrence Delalio's rugby podcast my enormous thanks to skinny flat white Brian O'Driscoll to Bill Pulling and to Will McPherson hope you've enjoyed listening if you have please do give us a like and don't forget to subscribe see you all next time Lawrence Delalio's rugby podcast supported by Fuller's London Pride the official beer of Premiership Rugby Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 